0: Gracious Lord, as we come to read your word and to hear it, uh, uh, what you have to say, we invite your Holy Spirit to come into this moment. We know you're here. You've already been at work in the songs, the dances, the prayer. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts to what you wish to say through your word. Lord, I pray for me that I would communicate your truth faithfully and compellingly. And I pray that, Lord, that whatever's going on in the hearts and minds of those here or listening on YouTube or podcast, that you would open their hearts to the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not, we haven't got it on, uh, the, sometimes we chucked it on the screen. Uh, now we've just got the old-fashioned pull-out-a-Bible from under you. I think it's page 879, but let me just check. Uh, it's, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's always good. Yeah, page 879 if you've got one of these. Of course, if you've got a device, you can just get there pretty quick. Uh, there on your device. Uh, page 879. And it's 1 Corinthians, and I've got selected verses, and I'm really, this morning, I'm just taking the whole chapter, but the whole chapter is quite a chunk, and I thought uh, a sort of a 10-minute Bible reading may may not be quite the, the, the theme this morning, all the kids here. So I've just taken little excerpts of it, but I will be using the whole chapter. Let's go for it. Uh, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was of most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried... He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact... I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results, for I've worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God, who was working through me by his grace. So it makes no no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you've already believed. And then jump down to verse 35, the resurrection body. But someone may ask... How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it, it dies first. And when you put it into the ground, it is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it a new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh, one of humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are also bodies in heaven and bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory. The moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. This St. Andrews is God's Word. Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. This morning on Resurrection Sunday, I want to look at Jesus' resurrection and ours. I want to focus on three things this morning over the next few moments. One, Jesus had a bodily resurrection. Two, Jesus had a first fruits resurrection of our resurrection. And three, Jesus had a vindicating resurrection of our salvation. And first, Jesus had a bodily resurrection. I want to hone in on the fact that Jesus was human. And when he was raised, he had the same body. He's going to have that same body for all of eternity. And just ponder this for a moment in the cultural moment that we're living through right now. And really go a little bit deeper. So stick with me, St. Andrews. So first he had a bodily resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't leave his body behind to be in another body. It was his body that he was around for 33 years. That body was raised. In fact, after he was resurrection, the scars of his life here on earth was the same scars he had post-resurrection. He ate fish, he bodily ascended to heaven, and according to the scriptures, he will bodily come back again. The Son of God will always have a bodily a bodily ex- existence. The body he will have for all eternity will carry the scars of his time here on earth. Now, we do not actually have any portraits of what Jesus looks like, but when I picture Jesus, I instantly get the sort of the Jesus film or the chosen or the passion of the Christ. Is that what you guys picture? It's just sent into my brain. You know, good-looking, bearded guy, gentle look, sort of that gentle strength vibe. You know, a world global influencer. That's my Jesus. Yep, that's how I picture him you know, with all his disciples you know, around him with the robes and, and stuff. But we, we actually we don't while we do not have any definitive definitive pictures of what Jesus look looks like, we do have the very early Christians of what they have written and a biblical prophecy. And I want to say that the two connections between Hollywood, even the Christian version of that, and what the early Christians in the Bible says... They are not connected at all. The early Christians, are uh, Tertullian states, and this is very early Christians, they said that Jesus' outward form was despised. He had an ignoble appearance and, sl- and the slander he received proved his abject condition. Another very early Christian said he was weak and inglorious. And one of the first critics of Christianity who wrote the first, you know, the, you know how you have these books against Christianity today? Well, that's not ever, never a new thing. There was books against Roman pagans are writing. And one of them, Celsius, said that Jesus was ugly and small. And another one, I think this is a very low blow indeed, said that Jesus was bald. I mean, that's just a low blow right there, I just think. (laughs) And so while I have huge respect for the Christians and what they said, those early Christians, I cannot say 100% definitively whether they've got the image of Jesus right or wrong. I can't say that definitively. But we do have a prophecy... Written 700 years before Jesus was born. And I believe that that prophecy was giving an accurate picture of Jesus' image. And it talks about his physical appearance this way. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing at all to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected it seems to me that that prophecy lines up very aptly with what the early Christians were saying Jesus' physical appearance was looking like. So if you ever, can anyone remember those back in the 1980s and 90s, those two American actors, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger? Can anyone remember them? It seems like Jesus is more like a Danny DeVito. <laughs> you know, if I was doing a Hollywood, you'd get Danny DeVito to be Jesus. I don't know how that would go down, but uh, if you're anyone can remember him, you can, you can Google him. He was there on, on, or I remember him mostly from Madeline. I think it's Madeline, the, the children's movie. Uh, anyway, so yes, Jesus' body was resurrected and transformed by that resurrection, but it was still his body. And yet, according to the Bible, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. And I pondered this fact of Jesus' earthly, bodily being transformed, that he's always having this body around. And I have sort of thought, why couldn't Jesus have a better body, a different body? Why couldn't the bones of that whatever body he had, nothing to attract him, why couldn't he just got an upgrade so, you know, be like, you know, the world's sexiest man or something like that? I pondered that in relation to myself because I haven't actually liked my body very much over my lifetime. When I was young, about the age of these kids here, I was always selected last for the sports teams. I remember when I was 13, and there was the girl that I was—I had a major crush on—and she wrote all the boys she liked, and I was like, literally, the last one on the list. And it was spreading around. I mean, I, don't, I know this sounds really small, but actually, when you're a, you're a small, fragile self-esteem, and you're in love with a girl, this stuff destroys you. <laughs> I remember when I was when I was at the high school in Nelson College, always being on the sort of the, this ruthless picking order on the bottom run. And it's interesting, it affects everything. I would say something, and I would be automatically ignored. Someone else would say exactly the same thing, and everyone would go, that's a great idea! I'd be like, but, 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 but I said that first! <laughs> Why? But, and I came to realize that the way you look, the charisma in some of those things decides pretty much everything about your success here on Earth and i came to ponder that in relation you know to my life and often that that very thing about the shame of my physical appearance i've got a sort of a, a concave chest and other things that sort of makes me just ashamed and a low grade sort of why did you make me this way and a hatred of who I was drove me into the army, I thought I'm going to become an alpha male, nothing can stop me, and so I joined the territorials, I did weightlifting. I did running, ran the 2.4 kilometer in the, in the 100 minutes, later. and there I was, and on the hills of Otago we are doing this company exercise and 120 men started that walk, and they were collapsing as I are like climbing that hill, and I seriously thought I was going to die on the hill, the man next to me collapsed, I had to carry some of his pack, I was carrying about half of my body weight with pack and ammunition. What drove me up that hill? It was actually the shame of my body. And I remember I was saying, I'll either die climbing this hill or I will make it. <laughs> and it was, and why? What was driving? I got, of course, the most improved soldier award. You already know that's a real lame award, but there you go. I got it. And I was like, yes, I'm finally a man. Right? And so, but why was driving all that stuff? Why was I doing that? It was shame about who I was. And you think about this age right now that we live in. Right now, self-harming levels are absolute the highest they've ever been in, in recorded history. There is such confusion about our identity as humans right now. And there is so much surgery change. There's not even mentioned in the cosmetic industry. How many people carry the scars on their body of their hatred of who they are. And while I didn't self-harm that way, I did other things that were self-destruct because of my hatred of the body that the Lord had given me. And so I live today with a permanent degree of unhappiness with the body the Lord gave me. And yet as I reflect on the resurrection, and as I reflect on the fact that I'm coveting, always coveting a different and better body, I reflect that the body that Jesus had, the one that according to the Bible says there was nothing beautiful or attractive or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. It was that body that was resurrected on the third day bald or not bald i don't know but it was body small and ugly maybe as the critics said maybe maybe not nothing of a, what the bible says nothing about that shape would have attracted us to him but it was that body was resurrected and what does that say It says that despite whatever I think about the body, whatever our culture thinks about the human body, it says that we are made in the the image of God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and our human, human bodies have incredible treasure, and we will be, and God values the human body so much that we will have this existence, bodily existence, for all eternity. Jesus, for all eternity, will be a human male and will have a continuity of what he had here on earth, including the scars. And this speaks to the value that you have as a human. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about Jesus' appearance, nothing to attract us to him. But it also challenges us. If Jesus walked in today, as the early Christians have portrayed him, as the Bible portrays him, what would we have responded to him? How would we treat him? I've known that often the way that I've been treated, when I think it's often dependent on a whole host of things. Now that I'm a minister, people, you know, give me this more, this more stuff that comes my way, more attention. I just lap it up and the self-esteem, whatever. But the reality is, there's always someone here who's not getting that. Jesus says, "What you do for the least of these, you do for me." The way we treat each other is the way we treat Jesus. Jesus had a bodily resurrection and it's connected to our resurrection. So, first, Jesus had a bodily resurrection. Second, Jesus' resurrection was a first fruits resurrection of ours to come. The early Christians have this creed called the Apostles' Creed, and in a nutshell, it sums up what Christians believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty and from there he will come one day to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. In that early creed, they put two things together, our eternal life and our bodily resurrection. What the Bible is saying is that one day my body and all of its manly glory is going to be resurrected. And it's going to, and, and Jesus' resurrection was a first fruit resurrection of that. Verse 22 and verse 23 of 15. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. This first fruits is sort of like a metaphor talking to the initial quality of the harvest. Paul is saying here, this is what one theologian says, the resurrection of Christ and of believers cannot be separated. Why? Because to extend the metaphor as Paul surely intends, Christ's resurrection is a first fruits of of the resurrection harvest that includes the resurrection of all believers. So at the end of the age, when the last trumpet sounds, all the dead will be raised. But verse 52 of chapter 15, it will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. Some will be raised to eternal life and some to second death. And so the Corinthians are going like, they go, I, I'm a little bit, I actually think I have a sympathy for the Corinthians because they're like me. They're asking like, Let's, I'll read them. But someone asks, how will the dead be raised and what kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant at least it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. You know? So Paul goes on and he gives an explanation. I have to say, I'm sort of i one of these people probably got too much time on my mind, but I sort of think, how is this really going to work? Because right now at the moment, we cannot send, I did check, we cannot send a human, remains of ashes up into space and set it into the sun. But it's possible that sometime this century we will. So imagine me I don't want my body, and I say, right, I really want a new body, so I'm going to thwart the resurrection, and I send my ashes into the sun. Right, there we go, sabotage God. How would God resurrect that? Well, may I suggest, and this is one of the interesting things of science, is that I think there's a third law, is the conservation of matter, that actually every atom that was created in the beginning of the world is going to be the same number of atoms that finishes. Our, our atoms change different shapes and forms, but they're still the same. So when you're, whether you're vaporized, whether you're buried, God knows where every single one of your atoms are, are. And on the day of the resurrection, he'll know where every single one of your atoms are then. It doesn't matter. He knows it all. Conservation of matter. So somehow, way, when the resurrection comes, he will assemble us back together. We'll be transformed, but the same. And I want to suggest that the transformation that we are looking forward to, for me and my situation, I'm looking for a day when my wife will not have a terminal cancer diagnosis as she has today. I'm looking for the day when the broken relationships that I have here on earth that are so difficult and painful, and I'm partly to blame. For the state of those relationships when I have a resurrected body that will no longer be there will be no more pain or suffering maybe you're here this morning and you're broken hearted about the state of a relationship it could be with a spouse a child a parent or someone in the church do you know what hope is coming you're going to have a resurrected body and you're going to love the person just fine then right if they're in with the Lord in heaven with you you will love them a lot more then because that brokenness will go but actually, Jesus says that now is a chance for us to treat each other as almost like to show actually that we are, we've, been, we've got the first signs of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we've got the resurrection coming, but to reflect some of this now, and the way we treat each other. So Jesus had a bodily resurrection, he had a first fruits resurrection of our resurrection, and Jesus had a vindicating resurrection. The vindicating comes actually in 1 Timothy chapter 3.16. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by the angels and announced to the nations. What Paul's getting at, and what's mentioned also in, in 1 Corinthians 15, is that Jesus' bodily resurrection vindicated who he was, and it vindicates his divinity. Right? And you get to see Paul. Now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in It's it this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And what is this first importance? I passed on to you what was most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Truth claims matter. Even someone who says, I don't believe in truth, by making a truth claim. They are. If someone says, I believe in loving more than truth, they're making a truth claim. Truth claims matter. And what is the most important truth claim that the Christian church makes? The resurrection of Jesus. First, there's lots of other truth claims it makes, but it makes this. And so the key question you have to ask, and Paul asks, did this happen? And Paul then explains that Jesus appeared to the 500. He appeared to all these others. He appeared to me. And he says, if this didn't happen, then your faith is futile and the Christian faith is a farce. And so a key question for you to ask this morning is do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead as an historical event in human history? There's two keys to this. If he didn't, the Christianity is the biggest global lie and misinformation that's been foisted on the human race, because billions of people believe it. It's the huge, the biggest lie. So if you think it is, at least you're making an assessment. You're saying, yeah, I don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Who would believe that? they stupid people. I'm much more enlightened and intelligent than the superstitious people around me. If you're sitting in the pews like that, at least you've made a decision about historical events. Jesus was wanting to, to line people up. Do you believe this or not? With the Corinthians... But let me tell this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are you, some of you saying there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and our faith is useless too. And we, the apostles, would be be lying about God. For we have said God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. And in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, We Christians are to be pitied more than anyone else on this planet. That's a truth claim. Paul's laying it on. Do you believe it or not? He's putting it all there. And what Jesus is saying is that Jesus' bodily resurrection vindicated his divinity. It vindicates the prophecies and the scriptures, and it vindicates the reality that our sins are forgiven, we have eternal life, and we have a bodily resurrection to come. And though I may be bored and skinny with my bodily resurrection, you'll still love me lots when I get there. And that is a hope I'm looking forward to.